0: So uh, this is our third session and uh, I'm so glad to be beyond looking at the schemes of the devil because we get to look at the weapons of our warfare and um, I was just thinking how um, this passage that we're going to be looking at which is Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20 is a passage you probably have been learning at like our kids are learning now uh, in, the, in the sugar shack I've heard it's called, it's an intriguing name. Um, you, because you've heard of these things before, no doubt, if you've followed Jesus for any length of time, you need to be careful of the fact that your brain, I believe, is a pattern recognition tool. And so when your brain spots a pattern, it goes, I know what that is. And it, attract, it, it diverts its attention like, okay, got that, I know that. And so I want to just urge you to just lean in and to say, God, speak to me afresh. Not that I've got some wow new stuff to share with you. It's the same stuff that you've been hearing since Children's Church if you've been in the church for any length of time. But don't be robbed by, by familiarity, I guess would be my, my prayer. And so we've looked at having a biblically inspired mindset and expectations last night. We've looked at uh, the schemes of the devil earlier this morning. And just a note to self, uh, most, most times when you're on conferences or a camp, you don't actually grow on camp. You grow when you apply these things in your life later. And so, yes, we can have power encounters with God, and I've had many of those where in a moment God did something. But the real growth is often in the weeks that follow. And so I really want to encourage you to be diligent with the stuff that we looked at in terms of the, the maybe the, the things you shared with the person next to you, the things you might have prayed over each other, the decisions you made. It's the working that out. It's the following that through. That the real breakthrough is going to happen in, but we're going to conclude now by looking at the weapons of our warfare, and if you think about the context of this Ephesian, uh, the letter to the the church in Ephesus, uh, Paul has been painting, the apostle has been painting a glorious picture of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, and uh, so much of this book is that this gospel picture. In fact. There's four chapters of this glorious gospel, and you just like, it's wave after wave of wow. And then from uh, chapter 4 verse 17 to chapter 6 verse 9, there is, what is our response to this glorious gospel? Like, if the gospel's really that amazing, then how now should we live? And that's really what we've been looking at. And then he comes at the end of his letter, and he says, finally... And it's almost like he's finished his exhortation, he's shown what the gospel is, he's shown what our response to the gospel is, and now he's wanting to ground them in the reality of everyday life, which is a life where there is struggle and battle against a cosmic force. And so that's the context you have to live the Christian life out in. And so he comes to this reality at the end of the letter, and this is an age in which victory has been secured on the cross by Jesus Christ. And so the final outcome is secure. We're going to land with that this morning. And yet we're in an age when there are still very real and painful sometimes skirmishes with an enemy that has already been defeated, but he can still inflict some pain and damage along the way. It's an age that's described as this present darkness in which the church of Jesus Christ is an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. And it's so lovely that you're in a series On the Sermon of the Mount, a series really about the kingdom of God, and so Paul brings that in right now, and he 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 says you're an outpost of the kingdom of heaven in a dark age, and you meant to shine essentially, and so Paul has been at pains to describe how this glorious new community that has been formed because he's writing to a church, they were formed through faith in Jesus, but now he wants to alert them that. There is the demonic realm that hates God and hates his church. And those those forces will do their utmost to try and destroy the church God has been building. And so the very things that he's been celebrating through this letter, he's now warning them that there will be opposition to those things. Because that's what God is doing and the devil hates God and hates God's people because if he can affect God's people, he affects God's glory on the earth, effectively. And so he brings the letter to a close with this focus that we're going to read right now. So as the letter concludes, it is these powers we're told to be aware of. It's these powers we're told to wage warfare and wrestle against as we advance God's kingdom for God's glory on the earth. Amen. So with that in mind, let's read Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole, say whole. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole say whole, armor, armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand. Therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the blessed breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Have you noticed how many times he's, he's referenced that there's aren't specific circumstances to do this, but you do this always. If you look at it, it keeps on coming. Keep alert, uh, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What an amazing passage of scripture. So let's just take a few things out of it. Firstly, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we're going to take a little bit of time to get to the weapons. We're just going to make a few comments on the way. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's verse 10. What a beautiful balance. I love the fact that there's an imperative here. You are the one who's to be strong, but you are to be strong in the Lord's might. And the gospel, the scriptures are so full of that. There is something for you to do, but you can only do it resting on what God has done. And so we're being warned here and we're being encouraged simultaneously. Why are we being warned? Well, we're being warned that there are powers that are against us that are significant and they are cunning. And that they are not to be engaged in our own strength. Does anyone remember the sons of Sceva in Acts 19? They saw the apostles doing stuff and, and, oh, okay, so you can just cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And the sons of Sceva think they, they can just do the same. And the demon beats them up and says, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? Boom. And, and so we we to be very wary of just thinking, yeah, I got this. Then you should make a t-shirt. I don't got this, <laughs> but Jesus does don't be strong in your own strength it's not about you muscling up we are not to, to be strong in our own strength it's like the dad to the son on the rugby field you know who's been knocked down he's he's had the snot knocked out of him and the dad just says come on you know be a man stand up Paul's not just saying just come on man just just get stronger but that doesn't tend to work hey that doesn't really work we're not told to let go and let God either You can erase that from your memory. Let go and let God. We're told to be strong in the Lord. So we're warned, don't be strong in yourself. But then we're encouraged here. We're exhorted to strengthen ourselves in God. And this reminds me of Paul's prayer actually for the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, where the apostle is praying for them. And his prayer for them is that they might have a revelation. Guess who had a revelation? Paul had a revelation. He, he was strong in himself, and Jesus knocked him off his horse, made him blind, and he meets the risen Jesus, and then he prays for everyone else. I pray you'd see Jesus, because when he saw Jesus, his whole life got changed. So the guy who met Jesus wants everyone else to meet Jesus, the real Jesus. And so he prays in, in, in Ephesians 1 that they'd have a revelation, That they would know the immeasurable power of God that is for us who believed. The very same power that's raised Jesus from the dead. So when he prays, when he teaches in in chapter 6 and he says that you may be strong in God's power. What he's thinking is the immeasurable power that's available for you who believed in Jesus. The very same power that defeated sin, Satan and death by rising Jesus from the cross. I pray that you'd be strengthened with that power. That's the power he's talking about. So we should be encouraged that we who have believed in Jesus have the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead in us. Amen. So how? How can we be strong in the Lord and his mighty strength? I'm so glad you asked that. I cannot think of something more than what Nadine is going to be speaking on this afternoon, which is being constantly more aware of God's presence. I cannot think of something that will strengthen you more than to know that you are in the presence of Almighty God, that you'd have a greater revelation and awe of God, that you'd be more in awe of him and his majestic sovereign power. You see, faith is rooted in who God is. And what he said. Faith isn't rooted in you, because then your faith is in faith, your faith. Faith is in a majestic picture of who God is. So, if you want to be strong in His power, you need a greater vision of who God is. You need to also, secondly, be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, your Helper. I love the ESV translation of uh, John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Parakletos being uh, translated into English as helper with a capital H. I can be strong in God's power if I'm aware of the Holy Spirit's help. I can be strong in God's power if I'm constantly in prayer. Ollie's session later. When you pray, you'll get perspective. You'll get wisdom. You'll get guidance. And you'll be able to see God's in-breaking power as you pray. So the first one is be strong in the Lord. Secondly, he exhorts us to be aware that this is a spiritual battle, verses 12 and 13, and that this is a presence darkness, so we should keep alert, verse 18. And so we did deal with this thoroughly last night, so I'm just going to touch on it, but just simply to say our battle is a spiritual one. Paul is abundantly clear. He uses many different adjectives to describe it's a spiritual battle, and that the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers are cunning in this present time of darkness. Life is not like a battle, it is a battle. So what can we do to be aware? Again, we did this last night, but because life is a battle, we need to do a number of things. Verse 18 is that we're to be constantly alert. We need to ask for God's enabling power. Wake up in the morning aware of your need for God's power. And in this passage, as we're about to get to the different... uh, weapons that God's given us, there is an imperative that we're to put it on. We're to do something. And so, so you need to work out what that looks like, but we're to put on. We're not to neglect the spiritual weapons and the armor that God has given us, but we're to work out, how do I pick up this shield of faith? How do I actually activate these things that God has given us? And we're going to look at that in a moment. The third point I'd take from this passage is verses 11 and 13. And it's the little praise all. You're to put on all God's armor so that you're able to resist. And so I found it really fascinating looking at this passage to prepare for today that twice in this passage, you're told to put on the full armor of God. You're to put on everything that God has given you in this fight. And so I had this picture that it's like a set. It's designed to go together. And when I played cricket, back in the days when we were real men, we didn't have, we had ball boxes, and we had pads, and we had gloves. We didn't have helmets. Some oaks had helmets, but I was too clever for that. Until I got pipped by someone on my head. Then I started wearing a helmet. And I was just thinking of Kekhiso Rabada. I checked up. He, he bowls at about 154 kilometers an hour at his fastest. Or Shoab Akhtar, and I'm showing my age again, but he is called the Ralpindi Express. He was, he was recorded at, I think, 162 kilometers an hour. Now, if you're going out to face Shoab or Kekhiso, and and at the side there, the coach says, you know, so here's the stuff. What do you want? How much are you putting on? <laughs> like, if you're a guy, you're putting on a box. Okay, we got that. You care about your legs. I, I suspect you're also going to put on a helmet. If, is there a chest guard thing? Can we have that? Is there a thigh guard? Have you ever been hit in the thigh by a really fast ball? The idea is... If God's given you armor and it's a set, why would you say, no, 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 I'm just a sword guy. Like I, don't, I You know, that stuff will, will slow me down. No, 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 God's designed it. It's his armor, it's not your armor. And this isn't pick and pay. It's not like I like this, I don't like that. God says, put on the whole armor. That means this isn't pick and pay. That means... Put on the whole armor. So just tell the mate next to you, put on all God's armor. Which brings me to my second point under this point, which is that it is God's armor. Just think about that for a moment. It's not yours. You didn't design it. You didn't think this is a good idea. God designed this armor. It's his armor and it's his provision. These are gifts from God to you to protect you. And the Bible says that his provision of armor and weapons is sufficient to enable you to stand against the devil so that you can overcome. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling like the devil is really big in my mind and I'm feeling really small, this passage should encourage you that the armor God's given you is sufficient For you to resist the devil and for you to overcome him, Because it's God's armor. It's God's provision. So it'll be sufficient and it'll allow you to resist the enemy's attacks. And so since it's God's armor, that by implication means it's not. This isn't your idea. And it's not us relying on our own ability, strength or cleverness. But it's trusting in what God has designed for our protection and our provision. What we need is not the wisdom or the counsel of the world. I don't care what Oprah thinks. What we need is God's wisdom. God's armor to withstand spiritual forces. Amen. If it's God's armor, what's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to put it all on and to take it all up. We've been given it by God to defend ourselves. Our job is to not decide, I don't think I really need that. No, no. You're to put it on. That's what the command of Scripture is. And you to put it on. you to sleep in this armor. It never says take it off. It doesn't say put it on if. It just says put it on. So you could say you put it on and you keep it on. I don't know how you wash, but just put it on. And so the promise is that if you put it on, you will, verse 11, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So earlier, we we, we gave you seven strategies of the devil against you. Ephesians 6.11 says, hey, if you put this on, you'll be able to stand. Isn't that encouragement? I I know I can resist. I know I can stand if I've put the armor on. So how do you put the armor on? Well, that's really what the rest of verses 13 to 20 talk talk about. And uh, so we'll get there in just a moment. But the fourth thing I want to say is stand and keep standing. Again, there's such a beautiful balance in the scriptures here. It says that we are to stand. In fact, it says we're to keep standing. And once you've done everything to stand, stand. (laughs) Don't you just love that? Like stand, keep standing. And once you've done everything to stand, stand, bro. Just keep standing. And so you to stand regardless of what comes your way. But you to stand knowing that it is God who will sustain you to the very end. Just write in your notes, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8. I love that verse, how it says that God is the one who will preserve you to the end. You can only stand because he's making you stand, but you're still to stand. So there's an imperative here in Ephesians, but the imperative is only possible because God's going to keep you standing and he will present you to himself in the end. So do not be surprised brothers and sisters when you face strong opposition that threatens to knock you down. When you feel like the winds of warfare that are tugging at your clothes like a howling southeaster and you feel like I can't do this the bible says stand and keep standing knowing that it is God who will keep you to the end. Let me just read Jude 24 and 25 over you. Why don't you close your eyes just thinking of Maybe you're in a moment where you're really feeling like the, 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 the wind's raging against you. The enemy's attack is strong. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before his presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forevermore. Amen. Open your eyes. Brothers and sisters, you are urged to stand because Jesus can make you stand. And he will get the glory at the end. And so you are called to stand, but you stand in the strength of his might. Amen. So how do you keep standing? I'm so glad Ollie's doing a seminar on prayer. I think one of the ways we keep standing is through what I've described as vulnerable, authentic prayer. It's not the type of prayer where you like pump yourself up. You know, it's like, and you're going to kind of keep yourself going. You know, I'm trusting God. I think this, the type of prayer that will really cause you to stand is saying, God, I feel so weak. And I'm leaning on your strength. I'm asking for your enabling power. I'm asking for your strength. It's, it's being honest. You, you never have to pretend before God because it doesn't make any sense because He knows everything anyway. He knows you pretending. So it's the most stupid thing. So in prayer, you just get to be yourself. You get to just be, God, I feel like I'm falling apart. Lord, help me. That's how you stand. Vulnerable, authentic prayer where you're calling on the help of your helper. And secondly, how do you keep standing? You don't stand alone. You stand together. How many of you know what it's like to have a brother or sister where you felt weak and in that moment they were strong? Or maybe hopefully it's your spouse. What a joy to stand with Nadine over all these years. We talk more to each other than to anyone else. And then together we talk to God. What a joy to stand with others, whether it's a person you married to, whether it's your friends. I've been in small groups since I was 16 years old. Small groups of guys reading the Bible, standing together, resisting the devil. And when one of us doesn't feel like we can stand, the other guys stand for him and point him to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, stand through vulnerable, authentic prayer and stand together with others amen let's get into these weapons and and armor firstly the belt of truth verse 14 it says fasten again it's something you are to do you are to fasten it's an imperative fasten the belt of belt of truth on you and and the belt of truth i don't know much about roman armor really but i've read that it's a it, it's a leather belt that kind of holds all the armor together and uh So what is the truth that keeps us together? What is the truth that really keeps us together? I can't think of anything greater than the truth about who Jesus is himself. We follow the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so what that means is truth is summed up in the person, Jesus Christ. The one you know and love, the one you've trusted for your salvation. He is truth. He's not just a truth. He is the truth. His life, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, his return to come. This is the truth that you stand in. That I know that Jesus died for me and he forgave me and and he's coming back for me. And he's the one who sustains me. That's the truth. The truth is the gospel, the announcement of what Jesus came to do. Not just who he is, but now what he came to do. and What he has done. The truth of the absolute unchanging truth of Jesus is the antithesis of the relativism of our age our age says there is no truth there is no absolute truth but this text is saying there is a truth that you to bind yourself with and it's the absolute truth of Jesus Christ so the first truth is Jesus the second truth is scripture brothers and sisters you can use The truth of scripture to defeat the lies, the accusations, and the deceit of the the deceiver. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. He quoted truth properly back to the devil. Truth overturns our feelings. You know, it's common today to, to hear people say things like, I know the Bible says this, but I feel. Well, that's amazing. So because you feel that, that trumps the truth of scripture. No, brothers and sisters, I live under Scripture. I hope you live under Scripture too. Does Scripture have authority in your life? Is it authoritative or is it just a suggestion? Make a decision as to where Scripture fits in your life. The truth of Scripture. Why don't you live as those whose lives and spiritual walk. Don't go up and down based on how you feel. But you bring your feelings to the truth of Scripture. You need to go to the heart seminar later on. And then lastly, we, the, the belt of truth makes me think of the truth, which is our testimony. So in Revelation twelve eleven, it says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the, and, the, and the testimony that we've got. And I think of that testimony, and it's the testimony not just of our salvation, but of stories you and I have got of God's intervention, of God's presence, of God being with us. That's how we stand. That's how we remain strong is the truth of the testimony. Our lived experience that we've got of God. So how do we fasten the belt of truth on us? I think you've heard this before. Saturate your lives with scripture. Read it. Meditate on it. Let it shape you. And most importantly, obey it. Saturate your lives with scripture. I want to say to you in 20 plus years of ministry... It's very evident that people who don't saturate their lives with Scripture, their lives work out one way. Those who do saturate their lives with Scripture, personally, Bible reading, their lives look very different. It's so obvious. I do so many weddings, and at every wedding I've been at, I I read the same C.S. Lewis quote, and I urge people to put Jesus before they love their spouse to love Jesus first. If I come to your wedding, I'll do the same. And then Nadine and I look back and we look at the marriages that did and the marriages that didn't. You will not be the exception. If you put scripture, if you bind yourself with the belt of truth, saturate yourself with scripture, it'll protect you like you can't believe. Sixthly, the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14. You know, thinking of a breastplate guarding our most vital organs apart from your head is this breastplate of righteousness this piece of armor is is a truth it's it's a specific truth so there's the belt of truth but this is a specific truth about you and about your salvation and it is linked to the belt but it is a piece in its in its own in its own right too so what is this breastplate of righteousness It is knowing that the Lord is my righteousness, that I have no righteousness in my own. I have no right standing before God. I am not righteous in my own. I am righteous only through Jesus Christ, whose perfect righteousness was given to me. Can you feel how this is going to protect you against the accusations and the deceit of the devil? I stand in Christ Jesus his perfect magnificent holy life has been accredited to you as if you lived it you haven't lived it but it's been imputed to you it's been considered reckoned as yours and when Jesus when God sees you he sees Jesus perfect righteousness because you're in Christ Jesus and so because of that you stand in a restored right relationship with God, you stand confidently. I love Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm standing here in the presence of God by grace alone. It's the only way that I can stand. But I stand righteous because of Jesus. And because of that, God will always accept me because I'm righteous in Jesus. Our righteousness has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with how well you're doing or even how much you have read your Bible. Your righteousness is through faith in Jesus. It's not the breastplate of performance. It's not the breastplate of our achievement of good works. Look at all the good things I've done. The Lord is my righteousness. Amen. If you get this truth into you, it will fortify you. It will strengthen you. It will enable you to take your stand against the accusations and the deceptions of the devil. This is the armor God has provided for you. Rejoice in your salvation. So I simply here want to ask you, do you know it? Not do you know it, but do you know it? Do you really believe it? And are you living in the good of your perfect righteousness that is in Jesus? It's the breastplate that you to put on. Seventh, the shoes of the readiness that comes from having believed the gospel. I was thinking of this and thinking how shoes enable you to, to go over rough ground. And how we're meant to be soldiers who are in attack mode. And so this this verse uh, 15, I think you have to do a bit of interpretation here. But I I feel like we're to have the gospel of Jesus on our lips. That when when we've got the message of Jesus on our lips, when we're ready to proclaim Jesus 24-7 and push back darkness, this is like... A, a more attack-focused thing than a defense-focused thing. I don't think you're given shoes so you won't hurt your feet. I think you're given shoes because the gospel makes you ready. It's us getting not just waiting for "I hope I don't get hit by by something," but it's actually getting into attack mode. And so, are you ready to share the gospel of Jesus twenty-four-seven? You know, the the best form of defense is attack. And so, I love how this aspect of our armor gets us thinking outward about not just being defensive, but getting on the attack. I love Burke Parsons' quotes. I think I, 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 think I preached on this in July in your church, how God calls us out of darkness and into His glorious light. And then He calls us to walk right back into darkness and to shine. And so there's something about gospel readiness, being ready to share the gospel that's part of the armor of God. And so I want to simply ask you here, are you sitting down as a soldier waiting for arrows to come upon you or are you up and on your feet and always prepared to give an account for the hope that you have in Jesus somehow that's part of your armor eighth the shield of faith and note how it says in all circumstances and the shield of faith I think is probably the biggest single piece of this armor set that we've been given And it's a vital first line of defense. You can stop things with a shield. You don't even need a breastplate. You're meant to wear both, but it's like the first line of defense. And it's meant to be raised with the shields of others. I think we, in our radically individualistic age, we miss that this is a letter to a group of believers. This is a message to to a church. And so when it talks about raising your shield of faith, it's like, dude, your shield's down. I'm going to get i'm gonna get hit yeah like if you don't have your shield up i'm exposed and so there's this picture of the church and us raising up an impenetrable wall of faith as brothers and sisters standing shoulder to shoulder why well, is it described as a shield of faith well i believe one of the main tactics of the enemy is to try and get us to doubt god and to doubt his goodness I mean, that was the original tactic in the garden of eden Uh, Satan insinuated that God was holding out on them in some way. That God wasn't good. And so we need to combat unbelief with faith. The devil wants to get us to not believe God. The devil wants to get you into unbelief. And so the, the way to defeat that is through faith, is belief. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He says, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out, it is trusting, it is believing what truth is despite what you feel. Faith is not about feelings. Artie Kendall, very long definition, he says faith is believing God. Faith is believing God. It is believing what the Bible says about who God is and what God has done for you. Faith is believing what the Bible says about whose you are now forever. Faith is about appropriating and standing on the truths of Scripture about God, about yourself, and about life. It's about believing the worldview of Scripture and the explanation Scripture gives for life and standing on that. Brothers and sisters, this weapon is so potent. It doesn't just deflect the arrows of the enemy. It says it can extinguish them. They're on fire at times. And this, this weapon can extinguish the arrows of the enemy. The lies, the accusation, the deception, it can nullify them that they are of no risk anymore. Terry Virgo says, faith has to overshadow, faith has to subjugate, faith has to dominate reason and challenge reason's rights to rule when God has made a promise. When God has said something, then your logic must fall. Faith must triumph. When circumstances are shouting, what God has said must triumph. Over what your circumstances are shouting. So brothers and sisters take it up. Hold up your shield of believing God. Believing what the Bible says about God. Believing what the Bible says about you and your life. Believing what the Bible says about your church. That's holding up the shield of faith. You might say well how can I strengthen my faith? I'll we'll have to preach it another time. But I love saying that Jesus said that you just need faith the size of a mustard seed. Because it's not the strength of your faith. It's who your faith's in that matters. And John Ortberg says, faith is not the sort of thing that can be gained by trying harder. Have you ever tried to grow your faith by just going, Ah you just can't grow faith like that. So how do I grow my faith? How do I, how do I lift up the shield of faith? My advice to you is do not strive. Do not try. But ask God for more revelation of who he is what he's done for you and what he's said about you don't try harder ask God for more revelation go back to the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 go back to the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 and pray those prayers of yourself oh that I might know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that I might have power that I could know it's a strange prayer why would you need power to know Because you need a revelation of who God is. If you want more faith, you need to have a greater clarity of vision of God. That's what you need. You don't need to try harder. And so I want to urge you to be more in awe of God. I often pray what Paul said to the Philippians. And the amazing thing is he said this to the Philippians after he wrote most of your New Testament. this is what he said in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. You think, but surely you know him. You've been writing the Bible. I want to know him more. Guys, I want to know Nadine. I've been married to her for 28 years. I want to know her. You see, an insatiable desire isn't satisfied. But the more that you know of God, the more you want to know of God. So if you want to have faith, you need to know God more. You need to desire to know God more. Ninth, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, verse seventeen. What's this? Well the Christian soldier's helmet is the hope of salvation. One Thessalonians five verse eight. What is the hope of our salvation? Well, I think this is all about our assurance. It's knowing what we've received in Christ Jesus. In in, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse uh, 3 uh, through to 5, it talks about every spiritual blessing that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so the the, the helmet of salvation is knowing all that God's given you in Jesus. And so it's an assurance looking back of all you've received and it's an assurance of all you will receive. Because hope is future, isn't it? And so it's all that you will receive on the day of Christ. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. It's, it's a hope of all you have received. And it's a hope of all I will still receive. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. Verse uh, 18 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. This hope is also the hope that he has called you to. He wants the... When he prays, the Paul prays for the believers. He wants them to know the hope that they've been called to. That's future. And so, this helmet of salvation is this assurance looking back and this confident hope looking forward of everything that is mine in Christ Jesus. And because of the attacks of the devil, it's not surprising we've been given a helmet. Because for many of you, the battle that you're facing is a battle for your mind. In an age that's so infatuated with mental health, it's not surprising you've been given a helmet. Because for many of you, it's a battle for the mind. You need to go to the heart seminar this afternoon. Because actually the Bible doesn't place the centrality of the human being here, but here. And so if you want to win the battle for the mind, you have to win the battle for the heart. You have to go deeper. That's why the world's floundering. All this mental health stuff, it'll never ever succeed as you deal with the heart. Because Proverbs 4.23 says it's the heart. That needs to be guarded above all else. Because from it flows the issues of life. You want mental health, you need heart health. There's a seminar for that. Doing adverts in. So brothers and sisters, the helmet of salvation, we're to guard our minds with this hope that we have in Jesus. We're to set our hope fully on the grace that is still going to come to us on the day of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.13. And we're not to waver in unbelief concerning these things because these things will fortify us and they will protect our minds and our thinking. I quite often pray uh, for myself or for others. uh, Thank you, Jesus, that you're the Prince of Peace. I ask you to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. John Piper says, past grace is the foundation for future faith. When you look back, you need to remember to remember. You need to look back and see what God has done for you. And that gives you hope for the future. Amen? So remember to remember. Look back so that you can look up with unwavering faith. Tenth, we're getting there. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 17. This is clearly our most attack oriented piece of this armor set that God's given us. And, and the idea here for me is that we're to advance God's kingdom. We're to be on the attack. We're not just the pinata waiting for, for the next whack, but we're to be on the attack. We're to push back darkness. We're to resist the enemy. We're to take ground. Amen. And the interesting thing is that if you were offering me a sword, let's say there's a cabinet of swords there. And uh, let's just have it over here. I, I should have brought a prop. Let's say on this side of the cabinet there's a sword. A, a This short. And as you go on the cabinet, there's one, and this one's like three meters long. Which one do you want? Long one or short one? I I probably would have chosen the long one. They're like, yeah, like I've just got a longer sword than you. I can poke you, you know. But you know that this sword is actually, the better English word is dagger. Because it's actually called a short sword. It's a little sword. And so that actually means you need to be getting right in there and Gah, get him. There we go. <laughs> we are not to rush out with our own clever ideas, opinions, and feelings. We're to go with the sword, which is the word of God. So if you're trying to help someone, maybe someone's in your discipleship group or in your life group, or you're speaking to someone, I don't really care what you think. But I do care what the Bible says. So read your Bible so that you can be equipped with a sword. Not your blunt opinions, but with the sword of the Spirit that can divide between bone and marrow. It can get right into the issue of the heart. This should impact how we do life. It should impact how we counsel, how we preach. It should impact how we disciple. We're not to lean on our own understanding, the Bible says, but we're to be armed with the sword of the Spirit. We're to submit to, we're to lean on, we're to saturate everything we do with Scripture. I don't know um, if this is what, what Paul was meaning, but I often think of the sword of the Spirit, how if I saturate my life with Scripture, I find the Holy Spirit brings Scripture to mind when I need it. And it's almost like I've put it in the sheath, and then the Holy Spirit makes it possible and and present when I need it. Does that make sense? And, And I think I'm probably overstepping what's in the passage, but that's what I've experienced. As I just faithfully saturate my life with Scripture, when I need Scripture, the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. That's what I've experienced. And so I want to urge you to make a decision today. What do you think I might say? (laughs) to read your Bible, to arm yourself with biblical truth, not just in a defensive way, but in an attacking way. And just know there's a real foolishness. If you've ever said, or I know you wouldn't say this, but maybe other people will say, I wish I knew the Bible like you. I've heard people say that to me. I just wish I knew my Bible like you. It's not some supernatural gift. It's just dedication to saturating your life with Scripture. And so I want to urge you, you can know your Bible. And so know your Bible so that you can be equipped. So start today. Make a decision. And lastly, praying in the Spirit. Again, at all times. Praying at all times in the Spirit, verse 18. There's a seminar on that. The New Testament highlights prayer as a constant need. It's not just something occasional. It's something, it's part of your armor. It's part of the set God's given you. Prayer is how we access God's strength and how we stand in it. Prayer connects your need and God's supply. When you pray, your need and God's supply get connected. W.S. Boyd said, prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. I love that quote. So quick four reasons why you should pray. Because you get to. I once tried to phone Jacob Zuma while he was president. I was doing it for a sermon illustration. And uh, I phoned. And I got through to a secretary. And she wasn't really interested. And uh, managed to get through to another secretary who was higher up the food chain. And uh, she told me she was Jacob Zuma's secretary. So I I got close. And so I just said, "Uh, do you mind if I speak to Mr. Zuma? And she said, who are you? (laughs) <laughs> so I said, I'm a citizen of South Africa, and he's my president, and I'd like to talk to him. Uh, she said, "It doesn't work like that. So I was like, well, I just want to know if he's in. She said, I won't tell you. So I said, just tell me if he's in. I won't tell you. She said, you can phone his helpline. So I phoned his helpline, and it wouldn't let me leave a message because it said that he wasn't answering. And I was so glad that he didn't answer. Because it would have ruined my sermon illustration. (laughs) Because I might not be able to speak to my president, but you get to speak to God Almighty. Why should you pray? Because you get to. I'm in grief. You get to speak to the maker of heaven and earth. I wouldn't have known what to say to Jacob if I got to. But anyway. Second reason why to pray. Because life is war and you will not know what life is, or what prayer is for until you know that life is war. And prayer is the connection to the power, the resources, the guidance, the backup you need. So pray. Thirdly, because when you pray, you are wise. Because prayer is to be humble. You know, most of the times we don't pray is because we're proud. You think you've got this. But when you pray, it's a declaration first to yourself. I often will start. Saying, God, I'm praying because I don't know what to do. I'm praying because I need you. It's a declaration of need. And then declaration of knowing that he is the one who provides us. And so prayer humbles us and we learn to fear the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom I've heard. And fourthly, we pray because the immensity of the need in our lives, in our families, Within our circle of friends, within our church, our town, our nation, the needs are overwhelming. And so, because the needs are overwhelming, we get to pray to the one who overwhelms our inadequacy with his resources. And so, to bring that to a close, how do we pray in the Spirit? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I think to pray in the spirit here is to pray with the enabling of the holy spirit. I believe it would be to ask for the holy spirit's help as you pray. I think Romans 8 is particularly helpful here verses 26 and 27 where it talks about where you're not you you don't know how to pray the holy spirit himself intercedes on your behalf. I believe praying asking for the enabling power of the spirit to pray yeah, Sometimes I've prayed, many times I've prayed, and it just feels like hard work. Have you ever prayed like that? I'm sorry that I'm so disappointing. Have you ever prayed like that, where you just feel like, I just don't have any other words to pray, and this is feeling dry and like cardboard? You know what I mean? And that's not praying in the Spirit. But praying in the Spirit is where you feel the help of the Holy Spirit, where suddenly you can express your heart. The things that you're feeling are gushing out of you. And there's a liberty and an expression where it's not feeling like it's formed and shaped, but it's pouring out of you. And the Holy Spirit in those moments awakens your mind and your heart to God and His presence and His divine perspective on things. It's a place where you commune with God, where you're not just telling Him things, but you're also hearing things from Him. And it's a place where prayer is no longer hard work, but you kind of are caught up and carried in prayer. And not all prayer is like that, but the Bible says we're to pray in the Spirit in all times. And I want to say, ask God's help. Lord, I need your help to pray. I want to pray that you'd rush upon me that my prayer would be lifted into another realm of prayer. I said lastly, but I was lying. There's one more. Twelve. And it's just a comment, really, that we're to do all of this together. The three exhortations we've looked at since last night, every single one of them wasn't an exhortation to you as an individual, but they were exhortations to a group of people. And so all of these things we've been looking at, they're meant to be done together in community. You're not meant to walk alone, but we're meant to resist the devil and to stand, having put on the full arm of God as a community of faith. So let me really end. By saying Jesus wins. I just want to read three passages of scripture. I think they'll be up behind me. The son of God appeared to destroy. I love this verse. To destroy the works of the evil evil one. The devil. Christ took on human nature that through death he might. There's that word again. Destroy. Him who has the power of death. And if you didn't know, that's the devil. <laughs> he came to destroy him And destroy what he came to do. Colossians 2.15 God disarmed. We've been looking at God's arming of you. <laughs> God has disarmed the principalities and powers. He's made a public spectacle of them. Here the writer Paul is thinking of the cross. Triumphing over them. In him, Jesus won a decisive victory on Calvary. You get to walk in the good of that victory. That is the ultimate truth that we need to hold on to. Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. In Revelation, it, it has this picture of Jesus on a white horse and we are in his army because the Bucks are going to win tonight, we're going to (laughs) win. You know, we're not in France. We we, we can't tackle, we can't do anything, we can't kick for poles. Marnie, please kick for poles. (laughs) But if they win, we win. That's just a tiny little inkling into the victory that is Jesus that gets celebrated and lived in by you guys. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us as we come to a close. thank you jesus lord we thank you that scripture has been so so clear lord that we're in a spiritual battle scripture has helped us to understand the devil's tactics but lord thank you for this provision that you've given us together as a community of faith these weapons of warfare your armor Lord, I pray that we as a community of faith would put this armor all on. We would keep it on. Lord God, that you would strengthen us. Lord God, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, where maybe we've been neglecting aspects of this armor. God, I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us to pick up that armor, to put it on. And Lord, that we would stand. Thank you for the promise in verse 11 that if we put this armor on, we will be able to stand. And so, Lord, I thank you that we don't have to fight for a victory, but, Lord, we live in the good of the victory that you've already won for us. Lord, we know we're not unaware of the devil's schemes, Lord, but we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to get fixated with him because you won and we win because you won. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for a glorious confidence to come upon us. I pray for hope, Lord, the 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 helmet of salvation, Lord, the hope of what you've already done, the hope of what's still to come. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence with us. Lord, I pray we would know, we would delight in, we would press into your ever-present help to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would truly stand together as a community of faith. And because of that, we would advance your kingdom for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen God bless you